Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So he said to him, What is written in the law? What is your reading of it? So he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered rightly. Do this, and you will live. But he, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Then Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he sat on him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said to him, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And he said, He who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. Loving your neighbor is an easy thing to do when you surround yourself with easy people and easy situations. You know who these people are and what these easy situations look like. They're the people and the places you spend most of your time. They're the people and the places you feel the most comfortable. They're the people and the places you find the most enjoyment to be around. Now, if only God's commandment extended to the neighborhood of complete comfort and ease. Well, how easy it would be to obey the second great commandment. How easy it would be to go along in life and say, Yes, I love my neighbor. I love them all the time. I would lay down my life for them. Eternal life is unquestionably mine. But you know, like so many things, Jesus in his ministry, he comes along and he brings about a paradigm shift. He changes the way men think about things on a fundamental level. Jesus comes along and he says something like, well, you know, you've got this much right, but in this, you are not correct. You are looking at this completely wrong. And that's why I really want to center on the counter question Jesus asked the lawyer in our scripture reading. I'm not talking about the initial counter question Jesus asked when he basically said, what is your reading of the Bible? I'm talking about the counter question Jesus asked when he said to the lawyer toward the latter end of the scripture, which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? You know, some versions say, which do you think proved to be a neighbor? And so Jesus really looks at this from a completely different view. He's looking at each of these three men and he's asking the question, who's neighbor to him? That is, that one who fell among the thieves. Who is his neighbor? Meanwhile, it was the guy who had asked, who is my neighbor? I, I want you to pay very close attention 
to this because Jesus is very discreetly calling upon this man, though perhaps it's only really discreet to us, but to this man, he is fundamentally shifting his view and he's calling upon him to reconsider the question. Remember, the lawyer wasn't asking, well, who is a stripped, beaten, and half-dead man's neighbor? Who is that man's neighbor? The lawyer is not asking, who is my neighbor's neighbor? Who is his neighbor? The lawyer is asking, who is my neighbor? Who is it that I must love? Who is it that when entering my sphere of space, I have to take responsibility to serve and to love and to be charitable unto? I, I want to know how far my neighborhood must extend, in other words. Because, well, it's quite apparent to my conscience that I do not love all men everywhere, all men within my vicinity. Not all men, uh-uh. And, you know, this is not the question Jesus answers. Instead, Jesus is countering the man's question. He's asking, who in this story is his neighbor? Now, if you think I'm kind of grasping at straws here, I want you to consider what a number of other writers have likewise observed in, in this context. Robert Stein, a retired senior professor at Princeton, he noted in Luke 10, verse 36, that Jesus' counter-question, that's the way he phrased it as well, his counter-question reversed the roles. Huh? Say it again. He reversed the roles. Okay. So that just as Jesus answered the lawyer's question, chapter 10, verse 29, now the lawyer had to answer Jesus. So in the beginning, remember, Jesus did answer his question, but in the latter part there, it was the lawyer now who has to answer Jesus. You know, Stein believes that Jesus' intention in all this is to teach the lawyer that he really should worry less about who his neighbor is and more about being a good neighbor. There was another writer that observed that Jesus really doesn't focus on the object of love. Who is my neighbor, but rather the subject the one who made himself a neighbor. And so he has us look at all of these three men in this parable because he's focused on the subject. He's focused on who's being a neighbor rather than who is a neighbor. And then finally, one man explained it this way. He said, the man had asked, who is my neighbor? But Jesus faced him with the question, to whom am I neighbor? You know, I really love that because I think that summarizes it well. To whom am I neighbor. And, and so all these similar observations and conclusions, they basically lead us to the same point. Jesus wants the man to consider his question from another point of view. It's not who is my neighbor, but whom am I neighbor to? And really, in some sense, this not only answers the question, but it puts the ball back in his court. Jesus has fundamentally answered the question, who is your neighbor? It's it's everyone. But now he's managed to turn the tables. Whom am I neighbor to? I want you to think about this question right now. I want you to ask yourself, whom am I neighbor to? I want you to think about that question in terms of the lawyer. What, what kind of effect do you think this had on him when he maybe thought about this question? I, I can only wonder if the man said to himself, you know, I never really thought of it this way. I was only thinking about my sphere of life, 
who my neighbor is, who those who are worthy of my attention and love. But now this country boy from Nazareth has got me thinking about how that man, you know, that one that fell among the thieves, even that man, that man whose name I shall not utter, perceives and identifies his neighbor. I wonder how those people, you know, the ones whose names is hardly worthy of my tongue, I wonder how they perceive and identify me. When he sees me, what does he think? When he notices me, who does he say that I am? Does he see me as his neighbor? And if not, then does he too maybe have equal right to hate, neglect, ignore me? Maybe if I should be found half dead on the side of the road someday too? Think about this, too. What if that man's neighborhood, again, you know, the one whose name the lawyer could not utter, could not speak, only extended, mm, yea, so far? And what if another man's neighborhood, maybe one of those Syrians or Romans over there, their neighborhood only extended, yea, so far, too? And, and what if that pattern just continued to multiply itself over and over again? What if everyone only loved those whom they chose to love, whom they chose to include in their circle. What kind of a world would that be? Do you think love would dominate that kind of a world, or do you think that hate would have a far greater reach in the world? Well, I think we could all agree that the world would be much more sectarian, it would be much more divided, inevitably it would lead to a hateful world. You know, Paul lumped together envy, strife, and division in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and verse 3. A kingdom divided cannot stand. Love, Scripture says, is the bond of perfection. If each of us only had a circle that was so big, then hate would certainly extend far greater. You know, many questions can be asked on a philosophical plane. All of them would be good. I'm convinced that Christianity wins every time in every field and every branch of study. Philosophy sociology, science, math, civics, economy, marriage, and family, you name it, the Bible always has the right answer. But you know what is most important right here, right now, as you listen to these words, is what you take away from this parable of Jesus' Good Samaritan story. In fact, I want to give you a little exercise right now, and I want you to do this. Do this all week if you can. Do this uh, for a few days at least. I want you to look at and I want you to think about those you see, maybe those you don't see often, but you know them well. And I want you to draw a circle around that person's name. Put it in your mind's eye. And then I want you to think about the people who are neighbor to them. And, and you know, usually that's going to be a spouse right away, maybe some children, maybe a few close friends or relatives that they're close to. But then I want you to ask yourself this important question. Am I in that neighborly circle? And I want you to do that with as many people as you possibly can. And I want you to ask yourself, am I neighbor to them? Not if, not if they're your neighbor, not if they're in your circle. No, no, no. I want to ask if you are in their circle. If, if you're a neighbor to them... You know, years ago, there was a man by the name of Fred Rogers, and he started a television show called Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. You've likely heard of it. 
And as a little boy, I remember I'd watch this show frequently, and I can still remember the theme song. You know, it went a little something like this. I'm not, I'm not going to sing it, but, uh, you know, listen to the words here. It's a beautiful day in this neighborhood, a beautiful day for a neighbor. Would you be mine, Fred Rogers asked. Could you be mine? And then he goes on to sing, I have always wanted to have a neighborhood just like you. I've always wanted to live in a neighborhood with you. And so he says, let's make the most of this beautiful day since we're together. We might as well say, would you be mine? Could you be mine? Won't you be my neighbor? Won't you please, won't you please, please, won't you be my neighbor? Now that's a beautiful song. It's a, it's a plea for someone to be their neighbor. It's an invitation for someone to come to the party and be their neighbor. And there's nothing wrong with this song any more really than the lawyer's question, who is my neighbor? There's nothing wrong, really, just with that question in and of itself. But what if we could change the perspective? What if we needed to, especially if our heart were in the wrong place? Maybe we're not right with God. Maybe we were, like that lawyer, trying to hold back something. Maybe trying to justify certain actions that we're still living with and still trying to justify today in the way we treat someone else. Maybe we need new perspective. And instead of asking, would you be my neighbor? Maybe we ask, am I your neighbor? Can I be your neighbor? Am I trying to be your neighbor? You know, let's put the onus back on ourselves. Let's make the subject of love, rather than the object of love, the center of our attention right now. See how we measure up. See how we, the subject of love, are. And let's ask the question, maybe I'll ask you the question, won't you be their neighbor? And if not, why not? You know, again, it's an easy thing to love neighbor when that circle of love is our own, when we control the width and the depth and the times of entrance, who comes into that circle, who goes out of that circle, but it becomes a whole lot more difficult when we start looking at another circle another neighborhood and we ask the question am i in that circle am i in that neighborhood how do they perceive me how do they look at me within their circle am i an enemy or am i a stranger or am i a neighbor <laughs> you know we cannot always control what others think or feel about us sometimes people will not let us into their neighborhood no matter how hard we try but I'm convinced that God has placed us within a sphere of a number of souls and people today who need someone to be their neighbor. They might not be beaten or half dead like the man in Jesus' story, but you know they're close to something like it emotionally, mentally, spiritually. We need to be asking ourselves the question, am I their neighbor? Would they see me as such? Or would they see me kind of like that Levite or like that priest, you know, just passing by, not having a care in the world about me? Or maybe even worse still, maybe they see a hint of prejudice, racism, discrimination, privilege. You know, again, we cannot control what others think or feel. And sometimes the deceptions they might feed in themselves. You know, a homosexual, a transgender, a... An abortionist might be very confused by the idea that I love them and I only want good for them. And yet somehow I still hate their sin and I'm still unwilling to accept just who they are 
that that is as being one of those things, identifying with one of those things. And uh, we cannot control the kinds of deceptions people feed themselves with, their hearts and their minds with these kind of things. But what we can be, I believe, is an example of someone who is willing to be their neighbor and love them even when they cannot find it in their own heart to do so for us. You see, I can find it in my heart to be a neighbor to a homosexual or to a transgender or to an abortion uh, an abortionist and 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 hate that sin but for them can they find it in their heart to be a neighbor to be a friend to someone who despises their actions despises their sin that lifestyle uh, I, I think it's much harder for them because their lives are so much wrapped around these things while Christianity, the very heart of Christianity, is to love those who even do not love you, to be a neighbor to even to those who are not neighbor to you, to do good to those even to those who do not do good to you. That's the heart of Christianity. That's what makes me a Christian fundamentally, in essence, is that I'm willing, I'm willing, and I want to, even though sometimes uh, feeling-wise I may not want to, but I am called to for a greater purpose, for the calling of God, for the purposes of God, and for their sake also, to love them and be a neighbor to them, that perhaps in some day they will see and come to the knowledge of truth. You know, I'm convinced that this is the way and the only way forward for the church now. The American culture of Christian dominance is slipping through our fingers as we speak, and, you know, even mere church membership numbers and attendance, they tell us very little truth about the, the true state of things. Many have gone in the way of Balaam. Many have gone into the way of greediness for money and recognition and gratification, gratifying the flesh and the ears of men. Yes, even in the religious world today, you know, I ask the question of whom can it truly be said, Behold, a man of God, First Kings 13, verse 1. Only those who love according to Jesus. Only those who truly can say, I love my fellow man and I want to do him good always because he's made in the image of God whom I love beyond all else. Only of him may it be said, behold, behold, a man of God. Are you a man of God? Then ask the question, answer the question, won't you be their neighbor? Won't you love your fellow man? If not, why not? The second is like it, Jesus said. You shall love your neighbor. So be a neighbor. And may God bless you always in this effort.